you know, I think Jack depended on me to be that person in his life. The okay. reinventor, that was not his personality. We were very different in that way. He was a person of habit. He knew nose to the grindstone. He knew those kinds of things, never deviated. Now, he gave me the stability that I needed of saying, okay, it's time. I'm watching and you're going to be late if you continue doing all these things you're trying to get done. You know, that sort of thing. So so that was a that was a balancing act that both of us, I think both of us appreciated. Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so that you have the courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado. And today I'm interviewing my high school theater teacher. Jean Hodges made theater class a continuous lesson about compassion. She packed every class so full of meaning that she inspired me to major in theater in college. She was married for 59 years before her husband, Jack, died. In today's episode, you'll hear about the three eras that Jean divides a lifetime of marriage into. Discovery and delight, work and weariness, and retirement and revisions. You'll learn about the different kinds of leadership she and her husband shared in their marriage. And you'll be buoyed by what Jean describes as the laboratory of love that is marriage and family life. You and Jack were married 59 years? Yes. How many months shy of your 60th anniversary did he die? Well, actually, uh, we had 59 in August on the 13th in 2014, and Jack died on September 2nd. So we weren't, I, I wasn't thinking about celebration. You know, I was thinking about end times, you know, and, and my son, John, and his wife said, oh, you have to celebrate and we will take you and we'll put dad in a wheelchair. I had a, an anniversary card for him and uh and he was you no know, not functioning very well he was very quiet and I was able to say some things uh to him that were important and uh and and I think he felt bad that he didn't have a card for me and I said no worries <laughs> least of my worries but you know what he did after that he was always writing on the back of envelopes and that sort of thing and he composed something for me, which uh, which I found later. But it was it was a, a beautiful and scrawly, you know, as it was. I mean, it's just a precious gift uh, that he left me. What does it say on the envelope? Dedicated to my leading lady, inspirational guide, always here for me, life's completion. To celebrate our 59th wedding anniversary, my one and sacred blessing. A oh. poem written in his last days, August 2014. When no, you were talking about the um, wedding for your nephew, you, you broke marriage into three eras. Early mm-hmm. years, mid years, and later years. 
Mm-hmm. And you talked about the early years as being discovery and delight. Why, why did you call it discovery and delight? Well, that's what it was for us. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was thinking of the generational differences. 1955 uh, was old school. <laughs> it was that we were brought up and, and, you know, no sex before marriage and nobody lived together. I mean, that was just unheard of. And so uh, our courtship was really long distance and writing letters that every day we wrote to each other for the year before we got married. And, and that's how we knew each other. So we had so much to discover and to work out and the delight of being in person, you know, all of those things. I mean, I, I wouldn't give that up for anything. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for the living together, the testing it out, the, you know, all of that. So it's a different, it's just a different generational experience. And for me, it was, uh, and I think for Jack too, we were very naive. We had so much to learn, but learning it together was part of the bonding that we experienced. Do you remember something specific that you learned together? We went to a Methodist church in Buffalo, well, in Williamsville, New York, where we were living. And we hoped to find a young couples group because we wanted to make friends. Well, no, they found out we were teachers and they said, the high school group needs somebody and you're it, you know. So we became the teachers for this Sunday school group, which started out with very few people. And it's not like we needed another job on top of what we were doing because I was just starting my career as a teacher. (laughs) And I had a lot to learn there. Uh, but anyway, it, it led to Saturday nights being our time when we planned what we were going to do, and we had to negotiate that. And we learned so much about both of us being uh, teachers, I mean, just passionate teachers, and we had our own ideas, and Jack was every bit as strong as I was, and each of us, this is how we should do it sort of thing. And we had to work it out. We had to figure out how to share And so one of the things I learned was it was good to take turns. So nobody lost, but one person would be in charge each time. And both of us would do the teaching, but one would be the backup to the person who was the leader and they got to do it their way. So that was a, was a life lesson, uh, which was very important, I think, to how we learned how to uh, negotiate. I remember learning to say, I'm sorry to Jack, because I would come up, this was like in the first week, you know, of things that you discover, like where, how you do the toothbrush thing or the toothpaste, you know, and, and does the toilet paper go around one, or one way or the other, you know, yeah. st- stupid stuff. I knew it was stupid stuff, but still it, there were irritations and I had to learn how to talk to myself to say, no, really, what's important here? You know, and, I, and so learning how to say, I'm sorry, this bothers me. This is really dumb. I shouldn't be doing this, but this is what I'm feeling. And so learning how to communicate with one another about things that were trivial, as well as things that were important was the lesson, I think, of early marriage. And you feel, did you feel like because you spoke the trivial out loud, that made it less irritating or what happened when you would speak those trivial things out loud? 
I just got over it. You know, I mean, it, it was like, really, what matters to me is our relationship. And I was passionately um, devoted to making it work. That's, I made it, I had made a promise. This is, you know, old school. I'd made a promise that this was for the long term. And what, that was the most important thing to me. And so what did I need to do to nurture that in our relationship? And that just became primary. It sounds like that Jack being a feminist was part of your friendship that you felt understood by him. How I knew that he was the right person, because I was practically engaged to somebody else at the time I first met Jack. And I knew that person I would never marry. I, I knew it inside myself. I hadn't told that person who was in the Navy at the time. This was during the Korean War and all of that. So he was in the service and I didn't have a lot of time with him either. And I wasn't particularly interested in dating. I wasn't searching for Mr. Wright or anything, as there were many girls that were. Uh, that was not important to me uh, when I was in college. I was very, very interested. I was interested in religion. I was interested in searching for meaning and all of that. And so I was, I was totally uh, involved with that part. So to find somebody I could talk with was about important things happened with Jack and we're sitting on the beach together and and he says to me and this is like the first week that we met I'm not sure that I believe in God I think oh what a great question let's talk about that I mean I just and I had tried to explain to uh, my other boyfriend uh, some of these similar things and he would listen but he couldn't he couldn't relate to it and I thought oh that's a deal breaker. But I only knew that intuitively. I didn't tell it to anybody, even to myself, really, until I met Jack. And I thought, oh, somebody I can really talk to and he will listen and he understands. Uh, and, and, you know, to have conversation that was meaningful was the, probably one of the most important things that I was seeking. So he, Jack would participate in the conversation you wanted. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And that yeah. that does foster that feeling of I feel understood and I long to understand someone else. Sure. And it's it's connection. Connection. You know, it's it's a deeper level of connection. And that's what I was seeking without naming it. That's what I was seeking. And uh and when I thought I had found it, that cleared everything else, you know, anything else we can work out as long as we can talk. So then, Jean, you talk about the middle years as work and weariness. How did the connection um, get? I'm imagining that the connection got strained during those middle years of work and weariness. But yeah, well, you know, we adopted three children and they brought their own packages, uh, which in some cases was a surprise and hard for us to know, geez. I have no experience in dealing with a child who's dyslexic, for instance. So I went through some hard times of doubting myself. And, and Jack, with his lack of experience with just being in an effective family, uh, was no help with that. So both of us were 
were um, struggling with how to set boundaries, how to how to talk meaningfully, how to, you know, just what can we do that would be helpful? It was a really hard time because we were floundering and neither of us were used to floundering. You know, mm-hmm. if we knew that if we worked hard enough, we could do whatever we needed. That had been our own personal history, that we could take care of ourselves. We could take care of others. We were good at this. And then to learn that, oh, we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did your marriage change as a reaction to that new understanding? um, I think there were times when we needed time out uh, from everything. I mean, I can remember thinking, I, I just need to get away and just have some time for myself. And, and so that's when Jack was very encouraging to me. Uh, because I was, I was, I didn't major in theater. I only did theater as, uh, just something that gave me joy and I just enjoyed it. And I, I, uh, went to the Nomad Players, you know, that was our community theater and I got my training there. Uh, and so he, he encouraged me to become whatever it was I was to become. And, and it was separate from the children. He would take, you know, I would say, I really, need to have some time when I can write and he would say oh okay well and he was very very hard working in his own work uh he spent innumerable hours of planning his lectures in mathematics but he would make time for me to have time because I was basically the caretaker you know it was the traditional role model of I was the homemaker person and that wasn't enough and I was able to um to have time for myself because he understood that. What did it look like for him to make time? And what did it look like for you to say, I need time? And here's why I'm asking this question is, this is such a huge um, element that comes into marriages in those years of work and weariness, right? Is each person in the couple are tired because they're trying to work a job and they're trying to be a parent and they're trying to run a house and they're trying to pay bills. And how do you ask for what you need? How do you step up and offer? Because I know some people are resistant to take that time for themselves. What did it look like for each of you? I I feel like I I was the leader in certain ways. Jack was, uh, was so, uh, he was, very, very hardworking at his job because being a teacher was what he was good at and it's what he loved and it's what he wanted to do and that was his thing. So I didn't want to interfere with that, but he could spend all night putting together a lecture or I could say to him, I'm going to be at the theater at this rehearsal time uh, and this is this is what it looks like and, and he would adapt for that. So he allowed... I say aloud, and that sounds like I had to get permission, and it wasn't true. I mean, he was he was easy mm-hmm. uh, in in terms of it, it. His his competency was not compromised because I required some time for doing my own thing, uh, and so I was able to uh, experiment with that. And we again, it was a negotiation thing of this is what I'm doing now. 
they've asked me to direct. And I really like to do that. And it's going to be two months and it's going to be da 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 da. And I would say all of this. And he sort of adapted. Now, when I was teaching at Boulder High, uh, he, he would go through a kind of for me time when he was after like two months or whatever it was that it took us to put a production together. And it was like every night. And it was, I mean, that was the hardest time because. Uh, it's insane to have two jobs, uh, which was what I had, teaching five classes a day plus rehearsals and directing a play. So he would he would go along very well until about production week, and then he would say, "Is this ever going to be done?" And I'm really missing you, and blah blah blah. You know, I'd say, "Okay, just now five more days," and on Friday we're going to open, and you and I will have, we're going to meet at some restaurant that wasn't too far from the school and we'll have our supper together. And then I'll go back to the theater and we'll do do the show and all of that. And he and I both would look forward to that. I have to tell you one other thing that I learned to do. I see he was very methodical and he was very much a person of habit and he would just keep working and keep doing it and i was the one who could improvise and and think beyond the moment and so i would plan to kidnap him and i said now you can't know where we're going but we're going to go somewhere this weekend make no other plans and don't ask any questions and we're just going to pack and we're going to be gone for uh friday night and saturday Usually, well, I would find a place. I mean, you know, and I got a lot of joy out of this too because I was giving myself a break and he had nothing to do with it. He didn't have to plan it. He just had to submit to <laughs> the surprise, whatever it was going to be. And that was a stretch for him. Hmm. Uh, and I I think he enjoyed it. I mean, I think he surprised himself that he enjoyed it, that he didn't have to be in charge or anything. So, so that was the, sort of the antidote that I invented to uh, get us over some of the weariness. And what about the later years that you talk about as retirement and reflection? What did you notice when all that busyness of two careers and three kids and a home and when that began to subside, what did you, how did your relationship change? You know, I think Jack depended on me to be that person in his life that allowed him to change the reinventor. Yeah. He, that was not his personality. We were very different in that way. He was a person of habit. He knew nose to the grindstone. He knew those kinds of things never deviated. Now he gave me the stability that I needed of saying, okay, it's time I'm watching and you're going to be late. If you continue doing all these things, you're trying to get done, you know, that sort of thing. So, so that was a, that was a balancing act that both of us, I think both of us appreciated because there would be times when he would get uh, probably frustrated with me being different and coming up with ideas. And he was more, as I say, habitual, and I would, I, I remember more than once I said to him, I bet you wish you'd married somebody who was just predictable and <laughs> all of that. And, and I, he, we didn't argue about it. I would just acknowledge that I was a tough act. You know, not everybody would want me for, but I'm grateful that he did. And then he, there would be times when he would tell me how important I was to his, uh, 
to his life that I added the sparkle and the change in awe. I, I remember saying to him once, as we were both getting ready for this retirement thing, we were sitting in a restaurant and I said, Jack, when you can sort of turn around, there's a couple over there. I want you just to observe them and tell me what you see. And I had looked at this couple and they were, they were serious and they were eating and they weren't, they no eye contact. They were just eating. It was, and, and it was, I thought, Oh, if that would be our life to follow, I couldn't stand it. And, and I needed to say that message, but I said, just, you know, turn around. So, and then I, then afterward I said, okay, so this is how that affects me. That, that is a form of death to me for a relationship to have reached the point where we don't even talk to each other. We just eat and, and everybody, uh, those two people I thought just looked bored and exhausted and whatever else was going on for them. I didn't even know. And I said, so can we make up a rule <laughs> that says we won't let that happen? And that uh, here's the code word. We will say sparkling conversation. That will be whatever it is. I don't care what we talk about, but we have to keep talking to each other. And, uh, and that became a code word that we would, <laughs> and, and when I would say that word to him, he would kind of look perplexed <laughs> and he would think, okay, I have to come up with something. And he maybe, you know, that wasn't natural to him. And but which, so the, the way the code word worked is if, if one or the other of you said sparkling conversation, that meant you better come up with something to talk about because I don't want to be that person who diverts my gaze from your eyes. Yeah, well, ex yeah, exactly. And it might have been me that did it more often because I said, we have to keep talking to each other. That's what's going to keep this thing alive. And I, I can't stand the idea of withering on the vine, as it were. So you see a lot of couples that do it that way. And I think retirement may be the most challenging period of a well I don't know it's hard to say everybody's different but I think it's very challenging because a lot of people don't know how to prepare for it and don't think about the changes that are necessary and how and and what do we want out of this part and how much are we going to work for it because by this time you're you're kind of aging and it's you're kind of used to things and you might be bored with blah 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 and tired of doing this and let's not do that anymore. And, you know, so you have to, I mean, the reinvention has to be mutual, mm. uh, I think. And, and I was that person in our marriage that said, okay, time to, you know, live it up. Soon after I retired, uh, we took, I got some money for not being sick, you know, however, whatever they call that sick pay payout. And that took us to Australia and we were there <laughs> way too long and jack was suffering from uh uh his body wearing out and he uh he complained a lot and he it was knee problems knee or hips he ended up ultimately having two knee and two hip replacements now i've got two hip replacements and i'm thinking oh man do i have to do the knees too <laughs> but anyway he was he was in pain and he was not fun to be with and we were gone too long. And when we came back, I said, Jack, we got to do something because you, you're complaining a lot. You're suffering a lot. And you got to do something about that because I'm not able to fix it. And I'm not willing to live with a person that just is suffering and feeling sorry for themselves and 
you know, all of that. I said, I would like us to, one, I would like you to schedule surgery to get your whatever was hurting at the time fixed so that we could continue thinking we could travel without pain. <laughs> and secondly, I would like us to find someone we could talk with, a counselor, who could help us figure out this whole entering into retirement and how we're going to do it and how we can renew. I'm looking for renewal. And, uh, and he agreed to that. And, and we uh, had a really, really good experience. Where the, the Jean, how did you learn to ask so clearly for what you wanted in your marriage? Um, I guess it was because we were different enough that I knew that what his patterns were. And I realized they didn't fit mine. And so, I mean, it was clear because of the differences that we shared. You know, I, I think that that was it as much as anything, because he, he could have been a very boring person because of how bit, habitual he was. I'm, you know, and, and, and I knew he was more interesting than that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were reasons that that I chose him. And, mm -hmm. and it is that that, you know, when he was his vital self and we were just falling in love and all of that. It was so wonderful that I knew there was an essence there that was, uh, that was who he was. And as time goes on, um, well, you know, get worn out or whatever happens. And, and being a person of habit is one of the things that I saw that was detrimental to the relationship. Because he would sort of lean into that. And then, you know, like those, that couple sitting there and staring at their food. <laughs> there is a theme in your marriage with Jack. You, you obviously had a lot that brought you together. You know, you mm -hmm. did a lot of things as a team. You shared leadership. You had each other's backs. Um, and there is also an element, at least that I feel like I saw in your marriage, where you gave each other grace how do you let go of your agenda and just offer grace? Well, I guess this is my philosophy about any relationship is that I'm in charge of me and you're in charge of you and I can have opinions, but I can't make you do anything. I mean, I'm not in, I'm not a control freak. Well, some might disagree with that. <laughs> uh, I'm not, the things I want to control are are the events, not the people. I, I have given up. I have totally, well, totally, almost totally given up in, in saying, I this is what I want you to be or you to do or something. Because, you know, really, that's one of the major lear learnings that I have uh, learned as a parent, which is very valuable to give up control and letting go. Rebecca, letting go is what this period of my life now is really about. But it's been that way for a very long time of letting go. It's a process, you know. Maybe I am looking through rose-colored glasses as I say this, but it seems like the more you own what you want, and that's about that clear ask. But then once you ask clearly, the foil to that is truly letting go of the agenda because you mm -hmm. asked and then you say, okay, but you're going to do you. Mm -hmm. exactly. And I'm not in charge of you. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. And he was very self-directed. He had to be. He basically brought himself up, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. so his whole life pattern was taking care of himself and being responsible for himself and having a plan for how that was going to happen. And it gave me a lot of security, I'll just say, because I I didn't have that kind of upbringing. I had parents. I mean, it was pretty conventional, you know, that I I would put my hand out and say, Dad, I need milk money, you know. And <laughs> I mean, so I did not grow up with that sense of I have to take care of myself. And in fact, this is another point that I think is very worthwhile. It became uh, it became clear to me when I saw that Jack was fading and that he and my dad were my security blankets. No, I mean, in each stage of my life, they were the ones that I sort of depended upon to take care of whatever I didn't take care of. And, and uh, what I realized when I knew that Jack was dying was that, oh my gosh, I am now at the place in my life where I have to learn to A, take care of myself, live by myself, be alone. I've always been in a context of a family, and that's always been very nurturing to me uh, and important to me, gave my life purpose and all that. And now this is a totally different time, and I have to let go of of relying on others so as much as I need to trust myself and become my own best friend. Mm. And that's what this latter chapter is, is seems to be all about. And it's mm. not that I don't have children that want to take care of me. It is that I am seriously independent, it turns out. And probably <laughs> I've always had that peace. And Jack understood that peace. Mm. And and didn't try to control that about me as much mm-hmm. as support, because this is what he did. He was he supported whatever wild thing I wanted to do, and, mm-hmm. and so it's the whole thing of being in a family and being in a relationship. And I do believe that being in a family. I, I have said to my granddaughters, it's it's the laboratory where you learn about loving and what mm-hmm. what love is all about. I loved having this conversation with Jean Hodges, and I love her philosophy that marriage and family is a laboratory for learning about love. That's been my experience as well. The first stage of love that she describes as discovery and delight, she discovered that she and Jack rolled the toilet paper differently. That's when her love lab taught her about the little things and how she wanted connection with Jack to be more important than who did the toilet paper the right way. That's when they learned about those tiny apologies that make a marriage work. Then she told us about work and weariness. I know so many of you are in this phase of life right now. There's so much to do, so many roles in life to juggle. Jean and Jack had different styles of leadership. She asked so cleanly for what she needed, and I admire the way Jack made room for her in their marriage. He could have spent all night preparing his lectures, but instead he figured it out so Jean could feed her personal ambition too. They had each other's backs. That's the bottom line that I heard in this marriage. 
When they were both exhausted, they met the exhaustion together. Jean doesn't hesitate to name it as the poor me syndrome. We've all faced that, right? Then she makes a plan so that both of them can see a light at the end of the tunnel when exhaustion will ease and there'll be time for connection again. When Jean talks about that last era of love, retirement and revisioning, she knows she wants sparkling conversation. (laughs) I love how that becomes a code word for her. But you know, the other thing I really admire is that Jean knows that she and Jack are in many ways that opposites attract kind of couple. She acknowledges that she might be difficult for Jack to live with. She's always reinventing while he is that sturdy foundation that keeps their trains running on time. I like this way she has of noticing each of their dispositions and the joy and the challenge that each of their dispositions bring to the relationship. Finally, I want to underline that brave thing she did when she asked Jack to be responsible for his health. Please do something about your suffering, she said, when she asked him to have surgery. Jean knows she can only impact her own behavior. That's one of my core habits, right? Stay in your own business. But she doesn't hesitate to ask for what she needs in the relationship. I need you to take care of yourself, she says. That's big work when it comes to relationship. What resonated most for you in today's interview? How are you different from your sweetheart? And what challenges and what gifts do your differences bring to your relationship? That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions. I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.